Okay, we are in Lesson 15, and we are in Chapter 11 of Proverbs. And again, we're in that second section of Proverbs where uh, Solomon is sharing with, with us some individual Proverbs. And again, there's not any necessary order to these Proverbs. They're just a collection of Proverbs. But you're going to see that a lot of times they're going to deal with similar topics, similar issues, such as speech, such as rewards, such as how you live your life, and uh, so forth. So we're going to go through these proverb by proverb, all the way through Proverbs 11, chapter 11, verse 18. And so let's look, first of all, at the very first one, which we see in verse 1. Dishonest scales are an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. Now, this has to do with honesty in business. Honesty in business. So, dishonest scales are an abomination. So, here's what I want you to see. The point I want you to see is this. Dishonesty in business was condemned and honesty commended. And that's even true today. Now we have scales. Basically, that's how we operate in our, in our whole business community as our merchants is with scales. And so, like, for instance, when you go to the gas pump, you'll see a PA sticker on there from somebody who comes by once a year and inspects the gas pump to make sure that when you push, when it says a gallon, it's a gallon. No less. The issue is that it's not less than what it says. Because you would be cheated then. And so, when you think of that kind of cheating in business, the Bible describes it as an abomination unto God. It is something that God sees as very terrible. Now, why do you think God would see it as something very terrible? That if, like, for instance, you're at, you know, let's say Ken, the butcher here, is cutting out some meat, and he puts his thumb on the scale. Why would that be an abomination to God? Yeah, you're stealing from who? The customer. And you're really making out on both ends, aren't you? You're selling less meat for more. You know, so, I mean, and it, so you're stretching out that meat. So, just a little bit of thing there. See, so it's an abomination of God. So, Solomon wants us to recognize that dishonesty in business was condemned. Now, here's the problem. A lot of times, you'll hear people talk about other Christian men who are businessmen, and their testimony isn't one of honesty in business. Have you ever had that happen? Seems to me that they've forgotten the Proverbs, huh? See, you and I carry a responsibility, especially as we live our lives out before others. That if we're businessmen, then we need to what? Be completely honest. Not just for the sake of testimony, but because, what does it say here? That it's an abomination of God. It's an abomination of God. All right, now look, we're going to talk about pride and humility now. Look at verse 2. So we move from, from the issue of business and dishonesty and scales. Now we're going to get to the issue of pride and humility. Look at verse 2. When pride comes, then comes shame. And with the humble is wisdom. Okay, here's what it says. Pride leads to disgrace. It's opposite. While humility leads to wisdom. 
Pride leads to disgrace. It's opposite. Because disgrace is the opposite of pride, is it not? Okay? While humility leads to wisdom. So when pride comes, then comes shame. What do you think, what do you, what do you think is the point that Solomon's making here? That when pride comes, then comes shame. Because we're not talking about, can I be honest with you? We're not talking about, let's say, you're, you've got a grandson or a child or something that's a star football player, and even though uh, Kermansville got killed uh, this last game, 32 to nothing, I believe it was, but, you, you know, you've got a grandson, and they just made the right plays even though everybody else lost, okay? And, and you just feel pride because, you know, we're not talking about that kind of pride, all right? Let's not confuse it with what we're talking about here. We're talking about pride in the sense of you as a person. In the sense of you, 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 you. Now, why do you think Solomon is saying here that when pride, where there's pride, then comes shame? Why do you think pride would lead to shame? Okay, you're thinking about God and you're, you're forgetting about God and thinking about yourself. Okay, that's good, Mabel. Anybody else? What do you, what do you think here? So, for instance, look at look, look at the whole verse. Take the whole verse. The next part is, is that, and with the humble, it's wisdom. So, for instance, let me give you an example of what I'm talking about, because pride permeates every area of our life. So, I want to help you a little bit here. Let's say that Tom is doing something he shouldn't be doing. And I see that. Forget that I'm a pastor for a moment. I'm just George, the guy in town, who goes to church with him. I go to Tom and I say, Tom, you know what, Tom? I know you're doing that. What does pride do? Anybody? Pride gets on the defensive, Janet. That's right. Anybody else? What does pride do? What happens then is, is that if his pride takes over and he doesn't want to listen to me, he's going to continue in his own, even though I came to him quietly and said, hey, man, you need to change that behavior. It's ultimately, if he doesn't, if his pride comes, what will happen ultimately to him? Yeah, shame. Disgrace. Now, but if he humbles himself, this is what the verse is talking about now. But if he humbles himself, there is what? Wisdom. You see the point? Okay, let's, let's be a little bit more real. Everybody here, how many of you know somebody who is addicted to either drugs or alcohol? We, we all do, right? And as long as pride is there, they're just going to have shame in their life because they're just going to keep getting falling into disgrace and so forth. But if they humble themselves and say, yeah, I've got a problem, then there's wisdom. See, the issue, can I be honest with you? The issue with drugs is a big issue. Alcohol is a big issue. There's other addictions, pornography, you name it. They're all the big issues. But I can't believe there's even a bigger issue. Pride. Pride. And it only leads to shame. See, so I'm not talking about you being proud of your, your grandson or whatever. I'm not talking about that kind of pride. I'm talking about the pride that takes over you. And that can lead to shame. So, here he sees that. Now look at verse 3. We're going to talk about integrity. The integrity of the upright will guide them 
but the perversity of the unfaithful will destroy them. Here's a couple things I want you to see. When integrity is a way of life, it guides like a shepherd. When integrity is a way of life, it guides you like a shepherd. How many of you, maybe you're like this, know somebody, or maybe you're that person, that the more, number one important thing to you is your word and integrity. And when it comes to making decisions, that person, or maybe you, don't have to think long about it. You know what's right, you know what your word is, and you stick to it. That's a person of integrity, isn't it? And it's a way of life for them. It is a way of life. It's not just a momentary thing. Because I'm going to be honest with you, integrity is not a momentary thing. Integrity is not something, well, I'm going to be, an, I'm going to be a man of integrity today. Next Tuesday, nah, I'm going to do my own thing, but today I'm going to be a man of integrity. You know, that's, you know, that's not the concept. When you talk about somebody having integrity, their whole life permeates it. It's their, their whole way of life. And their integrity guides them like what? A shepherd. It guides them like a shepherd. But notice something. Those who use treachery, those who use treachery are destroyed by it. Those who use treachery are destroyed by it. So, if you're not a person of integrity, it will ultimately destroy you. How many of you have ever caught somebody, seen somebody, you know they are a liar? You know they're a liar, and they get destroyed by their lies, don't they? Because lies come home to roost, don't they? Lies come home to roost. I mean, and you can only lie so much. I, I'm a big VeggieTale fan, and I, I think I have every one of the VeggieTale videos. I was just thinking about that this morning. I'm thinking, man, Foster's 10... I've got 10 years of video. I've got 10 years of VeggieTale videos in my house. Well, anyhow, there's one episode of it that Larry Boy, the hero, and the Fib from Outer Space. How many of you have watched the Fib from Outer Space? I have. And every time he says a lie, Junior says a lie, the Fib gets bigger. Till finally he's this huge monster that, wants, that grabs Junior and wants to eat him. That's what Proverbs is saying. Treachery will destroy you. See, integrity will guide your life. Treachery, dealing with people treacherously, will destroy you. Oh, you may get away with it for a moment. And I'll be honest with you, you probably know some people that are getting away with it right now, right? But here's the problem. They won't always get away with it. It will come back to get them. It'll come back to get them. In fact, they know it. What do you mean they know it? You ever met somebody who's a scoundrel, a cheat, a thief? And here you are, a person of integrity, and you deal with them, but for some reason, they don't trust you? They think that you're going to do them over. In fact, they maybe will accuse you of doing them over. And you're like, man, where did this come from? I'm a man of integrity. I'm a woman of integrity. I'll tell you where it came from, because that's what they do to everybody else. So they don't trust anybody. They're afraid of... Stuff coming back on them. That's what Solomon's talking about here. That's what Solomon is talking about here. Let's look at verse 4 now. The value of righteousness. Excuse me, the value of righteousness. Riches do not profit in the day of wrath. 
But righteousness delivers from death. Here's the value of righteousness. Wealth is exposed as impotent in the day of death and judgment. Man, what are we striving for? Think about it. Bigger pay, more stuff, bigger account. We, we look in the tell. we see Warren Buffett. You know, he gave away 75% of what he owned a couple years ago. He's back up to what he owned again. I mean, he makes money like water just comes out. I mean, he must have a tree, a money tree. Here's the thing. These guys are making money. Can I be honest with you? When the day of death and judgment comes, what will their money do them then? Yeah, it won't do anything, will it? it? won't profit you at all. I mean, and you hear ridiculous stories. Like I remember probably ten years ago, some guy had a really nice truck, loved his truck. When he died, his family buried him in the truck. You've heard about that. It must have been a huge vault to put that, you know, truck in. I mean, think about the money they spent to bury him in his truck. Now, I'm sitting there thinking, what a waste of a truck. They could have sold that truck. Family could have, you know, because he doesn't need it. And, you know, there it is, rusting away in the ground. And, you know, that's, none of that stuff means anything when you go, the only thing, what does that verse say to us? Notice the second part of that verse, verse 4 there. It says, but righteousness delivers from death. Righteousness delivers from death. Let me ask you a question. Whose righteousness? Yours? Yeah, Christ's righteousness that we have received when we accept Him as, as our Savior. Now look at verses 5 and 6. We're going to talk about righteous and wicked conduct. These two verses go together. The righteousness of the blameless will direct His way aright. But the wicked will fall by his own wickedness. The righteousness of the upright will deliver them. But the unfaithful will be caught by their lust. Okay, let's, let's go on. Look at verse 5 now. We're going to talk about security. Here's the issue. The righteous enjoy security, whereas the wicked do themselves harm. The righteous enjoy security, whereas... The wicked will do themselves harm. Now, you, now, let me just stop for a moment, because you might be saying, well, well, if I'm poor, how am I enjoying security? You know, I'm a believer, but, man, i got bills to pay. How am I enjoying security? Well, we got to understand, so we got to think in terms of security beyond job security. we got to think of it in terms of beyond uh, national security or whatever. Okay? You've got to think in terms of security based on what? The eternal. Because here's the thing. You could lose everything. The country could be wiped out. But there's one thing they can't take away from you. They can't take away Jesus from you. They can't take away your faith. You see what I'm saying? Righteous are secure. But the wicked... That's what the verse says there. Verse 5. But the wicked will fall by their own wickedness. The wicked will be destroyed by their own actions. It will destroy you. It will destroy you. Then here, notice now we're going to look at the next part. Consequences. Verse 6. The righteous are delivered by their actions, whereas the wicked are trapped. Here's the consequences of our actions. The actions of a righteous man will deliver him. 
ultimately. But the wicked are what? Trapped. They're ensnared by what? In fact, verse 6 says they are caught by their own lust. They're caught by their own lust, by their own desires. In fact, we know we were talking about addictive behaviors earlier. When pride takes over and those people don't deal with the issues, don't recognize the issue, don't say they need help or get help or whatever, ultimately, because of their pride, they're going to be destroyed by their what? It's ultimately, it's not just the alcohol or the drugs or the pornography or whatever that destroys them. It's the lust for those things that destroys them. They get consumed with it. Do you understand what I'm saying? They get consumed with it. And for instance, when you look at a drug addict, ultimately drug addicts die because of overdose. What do you mean by overdose, George? Well, here they are, they're taking this drug, and they keep wanting more and more of this drug, but their body can't handle more and more of the drug, even though the body's saying, give me more, give me more, give me more. Their bodies are taken over, and so the point that they kill themselves. Kill themselves. See, they're destroyed by their own lusts, and so righteousness will deliver you by its actions. Wickedness will result in you being trapped and destroyed. Okay, now look here at verse 7. We're going to talk about the prospect for, for, for the wicked. Look at verse 7. When a wicked man dies, his expectation will perish, and the hope of the unjust perishes. Here's the... Here, just can I be honest with you? This is something that you and I need to be gripped by. Verse 7, the hope and expectations of the wicked perish with him. Solomon is just talking reality. Solomon is just talking reality. Have you ever heard an unsafe person say, well, when I die, I'm just going to rot in the ground and that's it. That's the end of me. There's nothing else. Anybody heard anybody talk like that before? Yeah, okay. Can I tell you there's an element of truth there? Because as far as they're concerned, all their hopes, all their dreams, everything they wanted to accomplish is gone. They don't have any hope beyond the grave. Now, that's only part of it. What they don't recognize is that beyond the grave is eternal judgment and punishment. Okay? But what Solomon here is making a clear point, and that is that all they have is now. Because when they die, it's what? It's gone. It's gone. So I want you to think for a moment. Think in your moment. I'm going to think in my my mind for a moment. Think about people in your life. They might be family. They might be uh, neighbors. They might be people you work with. They were to die tomorrow. I mean, it could be a car accident. Like, Joy, you work over Goldenrod, right there at that intersection where the mall is. Every time I go by, there's an accident there. For some reason, it's like, why do you guys got to have an accident there? But there, there is always an accident there. Let's say there's an accident and somebody, you were co- somebody dies. Somebody you know dies in that accident there. They didn't know Jesus. Where's their hope? 
there, isn't he? See, that's the reality we've got to get we've got to get gripped by. See, what, see, here's the thing. I, you know what? Can I be honest with you? I, I just let me speak off the cuff here for a moment. Every one of us knows we need to share our faith, right? But I think we all got burned out on it. So we mean got burned out on it because I, I remember when I got saved, I got saved in the Independent Baptist Church. All you ever heard about is that you need to witness, 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 and you did, and you got rejected, 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 and who you shared with was basically total strangers. Because it's a lot harder to share with people you know. And so I think we got burned out on sharing. So now we don't share. So we just live with them. We work with them. We fellowship with them. We have family gatherings with them, reunions, whatever. And, we, and we'll even say, pray for so-and-so, you know. Kids, pray for her. She doesn't know Jesus. And we know in our mind, they don't know Jesus. And you know that when they die, there's what? But we've gotten so burned out on sharing, we don't share. We don't share. See, we've got to get gripped by the reality that when these people die, that's it. That's it. You know, I'd like to be a universalist. What do you mean by that, George? I would like to believe in universalism, that Jesus gives everybody a second chance later on, but that is not in the Bible. That would be nice. And I think that may have been one man's way, whoever created it, to kind of ease some conscience about what happens to the wicked later on. But you and I don't need our conscience eased. We need to be gripped with the reality of what's happening to people in our community. And the fact of the matter is, is they're going to go to hell. Okay, off the cuff, let's get back on our on verse 8 now. Look at just retribution. Wow, look at verse 8. The righteous is delivered from trouble, and it comes to the wicked instead. Wow, here again, kind of coincides with what I just said. The judgment that the righteous escape will fall on the wicked. What judgment does the righteous escape? Taxes? That falls on everybody. Righteous or unrighteous. You know? What... What, what judgment? Yeah, eternity in hell, Mike said. Eternity. Judgment. See, we escape from it. But instead of falling on us, it falls on who? The wicked. The unsaved. The unsaved. Okay, let me just make, make that point here. When we talk about wicked, because you might know somebody who's unsaved and they're just a really nice moral person and in your mind you wouldn't call them wicked. The wicked in Proverbs is a reference to who? The unsaved. The wicked, another name for it, is like the fool. The fool. Now, look at verse 9. We're going to get now into the speech issue again. The hypocrite with his mouth destroys his neighbor, but through knowledge the righteous will be delivered. Okay, here's the thing. A godless person can defame another merely by what he says. A godless person can defame another merely by what he says. 
Does everybody understand that? All you need, all you got to do is just put a malicious number. You know, hey, Tom. Tom, my friend, Tom. I saw Mike's truck parked out by the liquor store on the main street here in town. Now, mind you, it probably was the only place he could park, but I wonder why he was parked out in front of the liquor store. Then Tom says to Jack, Hey, Jack, George saw Mike in the liquor store. Came out by the box load. Jack tells Art. Yeah. Jack, Jack tells Art. George saw Mike drinking. Art tells, tells Ken, George saw Mike drinking while he was driving and he had an accident. Comes time for elder elections. I ain't voting for Mike. Mike's an alcoholic. Only George knows it. Isn't that true? That's how things work. Isn't that true? See, a godless person can defame another by merely what he says. Now, we're all joking here and we're not all godless here, hopefully. But the point is, is that by merely what one person says, you can defame another. You can slander another person. A godless person can destroy you. How many of you have had people say something about you that was not true and there was no way to, to get, it was like it was words that just hung in the air and there was no way to do anything about it. How many of you had something like that happen? You understand what I'm talking about. A godless person can do that. Now, notice something, but a righteous person, here's the point though, he wants to make a point here. The righteous person escapes the injury of slander because he knows it is not true. Even though people may say stuff, you're not going to worry about it. Let it just drop to the ground. Because your life as a righteous person, you're going to be marked by what? Integrity. doesn't matter what somebody else said. doesn't matter. Let's go back to my funny illustration where nobody votes for Mike because he's an alcoholic. Mike's not worried about it because he knows that on that day when somebody saw his truck over there, he was down in Florida camping, and he let Rod use the truck. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? You know what I mean? Mike can, Mike's got a, Mike, Mike is secure in knowing what is true. Do you know what I'm saying? Now, he isn't going to tell anybody it was Mike who was using the truck, but, I mean, Rod that was using the truck, because he doesn't want to start around about Rod now. But, but did you see... Yeah, he was, yeah, that's right. He was going to the doctor's office next door. So, do you, you see my point? The righteous person stands in, his, stands in his integrity. Okay, the righteous person stands in his integrity. Now look at verse 10, we're going to talk about joy. When it goes well with the righteous, the city rejoices. But when the wicked perish, there's jubilation. Notice what it says here. The community appreciates God's blessing on its upright citizens. The community appreciates God's blessing on its upright citizens. And that's a very true fact, whether you're a Christian or not. The community will honor its citizens who are upright citizens. They will honor them. 
But there is something else the city will do. They may honor you, but they will literally jump for joy. The community rejoices in the destruction of the wicked. Have you ever noticed that? Usually there's like a town scoundrel or somebody that everybody knows is a cheat and they don't want to have anything to do with it. And then that person dies. And the whole town's like, Man, I'm glad he's gone. We're a lot better off now that he's dead. And the town is literally, it's, he's dead, celebration day. And they're all rejoicing about it. Because he's dead. Isn't that sad? They'll honor the upright, but man, when somebody wicked is dead, they're happy about it. Think about it. Think about it. It wasn't just too long ago that Saddam Hussein was executed. What happened when he died? Oh yeah, there was some mourning among the Sunnis. But for the Shia and the Kurds, what did they do? They partied! Sad thing was, as you saw the videos, them partying when he was hanging there. See, this is what Proverbs is saying. The wicked, when they perish, the city rejoices. The wicked, when they perish, the city rejoices. Look now again, verse 11 through 13, we're going to look at the issue of speech again. My, he talks about talking an awful lot here. Have you ever noticed that? Here we are, we're just into the second chapter now, third lesson of chapter, chapters 10 through 15. And I'm, I'm serious, we have probably talked about speech more than anything, haven't we? Haven't we? Now notice again what he says here. Verse 11, look at what he says. Verse 11, 12, and 13. By the blessing of the upright, the city is exalted, but it is overthrown by the mouth of the wicked. He who is devoid of wisdom despises his neighbor, but a man of understanding holds his peace. A talebearer reveals secrets that he who is of faithful spirit conceals a matter. Okay, notice something now. First of all, our words either benefit or destroy the community. That's what he's saying in verse 11. Your words will either benefit or destroy the community. Your words can either benefit or destroy the community. Bottom line. Verse 12 then talks about discretion in speech. Here's the first point. A man of discernment knows when to hold his tongue. Speaking your mind is not necessarily the proper thing to do all the time. Can I be honest with you? A man of wisdom, though, knows to hold his tongue. He knows when to be quiet. He knows when to speak. That's a man of wisdom. Because I'll be honest with you, many times it'll say things like this. It'll say that you are wasting your time in Proverbs. It'll say that you are wasting your time trying to teach a fool because you can't teach him. You're wasting your words. So, and, and, and that's literally true. So, if you're talking and you know that, let's say, let's, I'm going to pick on Jack now. Jack just says something just downright foolish to me. doesn't make any sense. And I'm sitting here, and I'm thinking, you know what? I'm just going to tell them like it is. But the problem is, it may not be the thing to do. Because Jack's not teachable at this point. So a man of wisdom knows to hold his tongue. 
Now, maybe later, Jack might be teachable. And I can talk to Jack then. See, a man of wisdom knows when to speak. Knows when to speak. He has discernment to know when to speak. But notice something. A man who lacks judgment treats his neighbor with contempt. A whole lot of contempt going on, isn't there? A man who lacks judgment treats his neighbor with contempt. So, you know, here's... here's uh, let me go back to my friend Jack here. Jack shares something. I know that's just flat out wrong, foolish, whatever. Rather than being a man of wisdom, I lack understanding. I don't care what Jack says. Jack, you're wrong! <laughs> Isn't that how we... You're wrong! Do you know what I mean? A man of... It's like... And there's contempt there for Jack. I'm not interested in teaching Jack anything. I'm interested in making sure that he knows he's wrong. Isn't that true? Isn't that true? So, we see discretion in speech. Then notice now verse 13 then talks about another area of speech and that's the issue of keeping confidence. A gossip cannot wait to share secrets that should be kept secret. A gossip just can't wait to tell secrets that should be kept secret. How many of you heard this story about the three preachers who went on a trip? Have you heard this one? Some of you are nodding. Presbyterian, Methodist, and a Baptist preacher go on a conference trip. And I guess for some reason it must have been a topic that they were talking about at the conference. On the way back, two of them were feeling kind of, you know, guys, one of the, the Methodist preacher says, and after this conference I feel really convicted and I need to share with you my struggles. Everybody's quiet and they say, well, Truth is, guys, I got a drinking problem. Struggling really hard. I even got a bottle in the filing cabinet in my office when I need to take a nip. I feel so good telling you guys that because I know that you're my friends and you'll just be careful with it. Go on down the road a little bit. Everybody's quiet. Finally, the Presbyterian preacher speaks up and says, Guys, I need your help too. And they just kind of listen to him. He says, I feel convicted, too, about some things in my life. He said, you know, there's a woman in the church that I'm having an affair with. And I just need some help. I need you guys to pray for me. I just need help. Going down the road, nothing's there. Nobody, Baptist preacher just drives, nothing's there. Finally, they press and I say, hey, don't you have something to share? Baptist preacher says, well, okay, if you really want to know, I'm a gossip, and I just can't wait to get home. Isn't that true? I have a saying that I sometimes put on the board. He who shares with you stories will tell stories about you. He who gossips to you will gossip about you. See, a talebearer, notice the word is a talebearer. The Bible uses the word talebearer. And, and I think that's a pretty good word to describe it because not necessarily everything they tell you is correct. A talebearer reveals secrets, but he who is of a faithful spirit conceals a matter. You know, be wise in who you share your stuff with. I'll just be honest with you. Be very wise in who you share your stuff with. I have found that in my life, there are probably only two or three individuals in my life that I will share things in my life with. Period. 
One is my wife, and the other two don't live in this community. Just being honest with you. Because if I wanted it known, I'd take out an ad in the progress. But I don't think anybody reads it. Maybe Gant Daly then. So be, be very careful. Keep confidences, because the gossip can't wait to share. Then notice something, the need for counsel. Verse 14. We're going to get through these. Verse 14, notice what it says there. Where there is no counsel, the people fall, but in the multitude of counselors there is safety. Good advice is essential. Good advice is essential for the stability of a nation. Good advice is essential for the stability of a nation. Can I be honest with you? When you pray for your president, when you pray for your congressmen and for your senators, you need to pray that God puts good counselors around them. Does everybody understand me? Good counselors around them. And can I be honest with you? You also need to pray that, and, and I get this from from uh, from Second Samuel, that He confounds the counsel of the wicked. Do you understand that He makes foolish the counsel of the wicked? Do you pray like that? You need to. Okay. Notice something now. The issue of surety. We're getting now into the issue of finances. Look at verse fifteen. He who is a surety for a stranger will suffer, but one who hates being surety is secure. Here's the issue. We are to avoid pledges to others if we want to remain financially secure. That speaks for itself. Don't put your name on somebody on, on co-signing for somebody unless you really want to have some financial issues. That's the bottom line what Solomon's saying. Then look at verse 16 and 17 now, the issue of kindness. A gracious woman retains honor, but a ruthless man retains riches. A merciful man does good for his own soul, but he who is cruel troubles his own flesh. Okay, now notice now. One concedes wealth, one concedes wealth by any means, but honor is bestowed on a gracious person. One concedes wealth by any means. Just a gun, lying, cheating, stealing. But honor is bestowed on what? A gracious person. All right, notice now verse 17. Kindness is healthy, but anger brings trouble. Kindness is healthy, but anger brings trouble. And then notice verse 18. This is the last verse we're going to look at. The issue of rewards. The wicked man does deceptive work, but he who sows righteousness will have a sure reward. Okay, notice something. Ultimately, rewards are appropriate for the character of a person. Ultimately, rewards are appropriate for the character of a person. So a wicked person, what's he going to get? Verse 18 tells you. He does deceptive work, so he's going to have rewards based upon deceptive work. But a righteous person who sows righteousness, he will what? He will have a sure reward. What's that reward? Ultimately, that's salvation and the rewards of heaven. Okay, let's close our time, and we'll get ready for the morning worship service.